Apparently, a couple of months ago, I just made some kind of statement to the effect that should the Giants win the World Series, that I, I would wear a jersey uh, on, on, the, on the next Sunday. So this, this, is, this is, and it looks pretty cool. Just, just saying. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, so that's, that's enough of that. Uh, Till next year. Uh, would you stand with me? And we're going to read from John chapter 18 and chapter 19. And it's a fairly lengthy passage, but it's, uh, it's a good one. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said, about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, <coughs> here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, 
because he claims to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the life and the power that are in your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that you would anoint each of us so that we would receive life from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My kingdom is not of this world, is what Jesus said. Kingdoms, nations, governments, all of those, they are of this world. Jesus said, mine, mine, is, from, mine is from another place. Um, the kingdoms of this world are kinda, can be kind of catty sometimes. I, I, I really enjoy, from a, um, a theatrical point of view, I really enjoy the, the terse interchange at the beginning between Pilate and, and the Jewish leaders. I mean, not only do the Jewish leaders come and wake Pilate, or I don't know if they woke him up, but, you know, first thing in the morning before breakfast, you know, they're on, they're on his doorstep. Not only is that the case, but they won't go into his house. They won't go into where he lives because they might become defiled if they do. And obviously this puts him in a, a mood well disposed to hear their to hear their, uh, their complaint that they're bringing to him. So you're, you're saying that you won't touch anything that belongs to me because you might, some of me might rub off on you and that will defile you, but you want me to come and do something for you. Well, okay, what kind of charges are you bringing against this guy? At which point they, they add insult to injury or injury to insult or insult to insult, I guess, really, by saying, if he weren't a criminal, we, would, we wouldn't hand him over to you. What do you mean, what kind of charges? We don't need charges. We don't need no stinking charges. <laughs> you know, we say he's guilty, so just confirm what we've said. Do something here. And I can see Pilate putting his hands on his, on his, on his hips and saying, you take him. You, you judge him by your own law. But they say, no, we, we don't have the right to execute anyone. Now, they did have the right to stone people. They did that later with Stephen. But they didn't have the right to officially execute, which only the Romans could do could send someone to the cross. And that's what they were talking about. And at this point, Pilate realizes, okay, this is some pretty, 
they, they're really wanting something here. They've, they've really got something uh, for this guy. And he comes in to interview Jesus, and he asks him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate, no doubt, I mean, obviously he had been told uh, what the situation was here, and he, he no doubt um, thought he was dealing with a head case. I mean, you would. You know, you got a, a ragged itinerant preacher coming in, standing before you. The officials are bringing him in, and uh, what's the charge? Well, he thinks he's the king, king of the Jews. And Jesus makes a very strange reply to him. You know, he doesn't go like, yeah, man, I'm the king of the Jews. You know, get out of my way. You know, he doesn't go, no, no, I'm not the king of the Jews. You know, don't, don't hurt me. He says, was that your own idea? Or did somebody tell you about me? You know, it wouldn't be the first time we had surprised Jesus. Uh, although usually those surprises didn't come from the Jews. They usually came from the Gentiles. There was the Roman centurion who sent his servants to say, you don't even have to come to my house because I understand authority. All you've got to do is say the word and it'll be done. Jesus goes, wow. It's a Syrophoenician woman who came wanting her daughter healed and said, you know, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus goes, wow, you've got great faith, woman. There was the uh, uh, Samaritan leper who was healed, and he was one of ten. But he was the only one who came back to, to give thanks to the Lord. And he said, well, where's everybody else? Is it only this foreigner who come in? So, you know, Jesus, I, I, I think there might have been a moment there where Jesus was kind of going, Pilate, do, do, you, do you know what's going on here? Well, Pilate didn't know what was going on. He, uh, others had told him about him. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight the way the world fights to, to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But, but now my kingdom is from another place. The kingdom of God is not of this world. Um, you know, I'm not really much of a repeat-after-me guy, but would you turn to somebody and go, the kingdom of God is not of this world. Because, I, you know, and, and I think I understand what that means. You can say that too, yeah. Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom to come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer has not been voided. That, that prayer is still legit. When you get up and you pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that the implication is very strong that it's not, it hasn't happened yet on this earth. God's will is not, is not being done yet. Jesus said over in Luke chapter 17, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is within you, is the way the King James translates it there. The kingdom is not about a, a physical location. It's not about a particular culture. It's not about a, a, a political entity. We, we keep trying to turn it into that. We, we have for centuries. I mean, from Constantine on through to the, 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 the Crusades, on through to manifest destiny in this country, we, we try to take the kingdom of God and superimpose it on something and say, this is it. Look, look at it. Here it is. Jesus says, that's not, that can't be the way that it happens. 
That's not what, that's not what takes place. The kingdom of God is, is not something that, that, is, that is manifested that way. Romans 4.17 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of physical things, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. And the Holy Spirit, and what boundaries, what, what political boundaries, what social boundaries exist that encompass righteousness, peace, and joy, and it can't go somewhere else. A lot of, a lot of you have been out of the, the country, some on missions trips, some on business trips, some just on trips. And other cultures are, are uh, well, they're exciting. You know, they can, they can be exciting, and sometimes they can be a little revolting, and sometimes they can be uh, very exotic, and, and sometimes you're, you're really, uh, uh, you're really in, in, entranced by them. Uh, one of the things that you discover, though, but once, you, once you've actually spent a little bit of time somewhere and scratched a little bit below the surface, is that, okay, well, maybe, maybe they dress a little different, maybe they talk a little different, maybe they sing a little different, but... Under, underneath all of that is the same thing. The same hopes, the same dreams, the same desires, and the same capacity for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And especially, I mean, uh, if you've gone on missions trips and maybe you've been involved in places where there's a lot of poverty or something, one of the things that you discover very quickly is that oftentimes there's much more joy in the homes of the impoverished than there are in the homes of the of the wealthy the homes of the rich when you got nothing you got nothing to lose you don't have to worry about some of the things that the rich have to worry about and 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 peace you can be in the midst of warfare and have peace you can be in the midst of plenty and be all torn up inside. So the kingdom of God isn't something that can be encompassed in a, in a physical way. Now, we do believe that ultimately it's going to happen that way. I mean, there will come a day. In fact, uh, in our statements of faith here at the church, our seventh one is this. We believe that Jesus Christ will make an imminent physical return to the earth to destroy the world system and establish the literal kingdom of God upon the earth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And there are a lot of Scripture verses to back it up. Um, Psalm, we're just, I'm just going to look at two of them quickly. Uh, Psalm 2, 8, and 9, speaking of the Messiah. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And to be quite honest, when you look at what's happening in a bunch of nations across the world, maybe in all of them, it's about time. Let's get on with it. But it will happen when Jesus' words in Luke 21 are fulfilled. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power, with great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. See, it's not going to happen by us getting, it's not going to happen by us getting all the work done and then going, okay, we've got it ready for you, come on down. Uh Uh-uh. That, that's not the way that it happened. And we wouldn't know how to do the work anyway for the most part because when we sing songs about uh, uh, the war, warrior spirit, that was mentioned in one of those songs, we tend to think about, well, you know, get, get me a gun and, and get me a, a, a hand grenade or something. I don't know, you know, a sword. 
That, yeah, hand. Yeah. Uh, get, get me one of those things and I'll go get some people saved. No, you won't. You'll just kill people. That's not the kind of warrior we're talking about. It takes a lot more courage. It takes a lot more strength to turn the other cheek than to slug it out with somebody. It, 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 takes, it takes a whole lot more intestinal fortitude and, and power and warrior spirit to move in peace than it does to, to, to move in war. Jesus was a warrior of peace. And, th- and that anointing is upon us. But he will come and literally set up a kingdom on the earth. And he'll redeem us yeah. when that happens. But until then, you know, don't look. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are fallen. We are risen and stand upright. You are a king then. Pilate surely must think he's finally getting through to the delusion of the defendant here. But he gets a most remarkable response from Jesus. Rendered in in a voice of total sanity. You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That was a little too much for Pilate. And so he basically just retorts, as it says, what is truth, turns on his heel and walks out, even though he's staring truth in the face. What is truth? What is truth? A lot of uh, people believe that truth is a myth. When I was a freshman in college, uh, our freshman English teacher made a statement in the class one time. He said, you can tell a freshman class because when you ask what is truth, you'll get an answer. And, you know, us freshmen, we were sitting there going, well, that's profound, man. You know, if we'd been sophomores or juniors, we might have argued with him. Uh, and you go, well, you know, what more can you expect from these secular schools? Well, it was Evangel College in Springfield, Missouri, in the heart of God's country. Uh, can happen anywhere. But a lot of people don't believe truth exists. They, they go, man, you know, my reality, my perception is just as valid as your reality and your perception. And you know what? Your reality and your perception is just as valid as my reality and my perception because neither one of them are truth. They're both just facts. And facts and truth are two different things, which comes as a shock to some people. But the truth of the matter, well, the truth of the matter, yeah. (laughs) The fact of the matter and the truth of the matter is this. Facts change. They change. If somebody says to you, I love you, well, at the moment of that being said, that could very well be a fact. Now, it might not be. It could be a lie because they're after something, but, you know, they may very well love you at that moment in time. But that can change. Now, if it's your mama, it probably won't change till her dying day. She may want to kill you, <laughs> but she will still love you. She'll k- kill you in love. <laughs> so, but if it's your boyfriend... It might not last till Tuesday. <laughs> and, and you need to know that. Yeah. Because people are fickle. And facts change. 
Truth, however, is eternal. So whenever you hear, I love you, well, that's a fact. But when you hear, God loves you, that's truth. That's truth. That, that doesn't change. Regardless of, and it can't change. Because you, you may go, well, uh, you know, I could see how he could love me yesterday because I had a pretty good day yesterday. But, <laughs> but today, I'm, I'm really a stinker and I, he probably doesn't love me that much. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with him. The only way he can stop loving you is to stop being God. The only way he can stop loving you is to deny yourself and say, well, he sends people to hell, doesn't he? No, he doesn't send people to hell. He's done everything he possibly can do to keep people out of hell. People, people, you know, it's, it's cliche, but it's true. They send themselves to hell because they won't, won't accept the gift of salvation. They won't, won't accept the, the cleansing that's necessary to be in God's presence. And if you can't be in God's presence, there's really only one other place to go. But he's done everything he can to make it possible for people to not go there because he loves them. Facts may also seem at odds with truth. Because at times facts are at odds with truth. Which is encapsulated in the statement, if God loves me, then why? If God loves me, then why am I ugly? If God loves me, why am I slow? If God loves me, why did that happen? But what we're talking about there is circumstances. And circumstances change. When you're in the middle of the book, you don't know what the end of the book says. And things that happen in the middle of the book may look very bad. But they end up producing great results. God's love is truth. And, and it's not just personal. I mean, you know, uh, let me just touch on this subject because, you know, oftentimes there will be um, probably the, the science. Well, I don't have to go anywhere with that. Science and um, religion often seem in conflict. With the, or, or the Bible. Science and the Bible sometimes seem to be in conflict with one another. Well, one of two things is going on here. Either science is wrong, and that happens sometimes. That's happened quite frequently. Or you're going to say the Bible is wrong? No. What we interpret what the Bible is saying is wrong. There were, there were centuries where the church considered that the Bible told us that the sun and the moon and the stars all circled around us and we were right there. Well, the Bible didn't say that. We just thought it said that. Yeah. Truth is eternal. And when facts seem to conflict with truth, truth trumps facts. Truth trumps facts every time. Fact, Jesus was born of questionable parentage. If they, had, if they hadn't gone to Bethlehem, if they had stayed in Nazareth, anybody who could count to nine would know that Joseph wasn't his daddy. Truth, the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary. And the power of the Most High overshadowed her. And it wasn't a sexual event. It was a creative event that occurred within her. And the, and the, the one born of her was the Son of God. Fact, Jesus was arrested by his enemies and, and, and placed in their power. Truth, Jesus was fulfilling the Lord's, his Father's will. 
He, he wasn't in their power. It just looked like he was, in, yeah, I mean, he was tied up. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they could beat him. They could, they could slap him. They could do what they wanted to. But the truth is, he could have called 12 legions of angels and stopped all that nonsense at any point in time that he wanted to. That's what truth is. Fact. Jesus was found guilty and was condemned to die for his guilt. Truth. Jesus never sinned in his entire life. He was condemned to die for our guilt. Fact. Jesus died on the cross. Truth. Jesus rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Fact. We are sinners and not worthy of God's love. Truth. God loves you. God loves you. Pilate... uh, he comes out and he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. Well, of course he found no basis for a charge. Hebrews 4.15, we've got a high priest who can empathize with our weakness. He's been tempted in every way as we are, but was without sin. Had no, had no sin. As I mentioned last week, five times Pilate was quoted as saying, I, I find no basis for a charge against him. And this is a condemnation of the quality of justice that you get in the world. But more importantly, it's the basis on which we stand before God. Because Pilate's not the ultimate judge. The Supreme Court's not the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judge. And because Jesus was without sin, the next verse says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of our need. You know, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what we do. It does matter what we do because when we, when, when we sin, when we, uh, which separates us from God, when we are intentionally going away from God, it's, it's hard to get there. It, it's, it's just really hard for me to get my worship on when my mind's been in the wrong place on the way to church or for the last week or whatever. So, yes, it does matter what we do, but that has nothing to do with you being accepted before God because that's all about Jesus. It's all about you. All about you. And Romans 8.33 says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, and, it's not, and he doesn't justify us arbitrarily. It's not just a matter of him going, you know what, I like you. I think you're going to, I'll just forget all the bad stuff you did. You're justified, you know, uh, not you. But, but I do like you. You know, that's, it's not an arbitrary thing. He justified us through the death of his son. It is, when, when he looks at me and he says, not guilty, There are a lot of facts that could argue against that. But the truth is, he has the right to do it because there's a not guilty person who took my place, who was sacrificed in my place. So who's in charge here? Pilate. (laughs) Pilate's, you know, he's saying, I I find no basis for a charge against him and and the, and the Jewish leaders are saying, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And it says that when Pilate heard that, he was even more frightened. And he, and he went back into Jesus, and he, uh, and he said, uh, where did you come from? And Jesus wouldn't answer him. And so Pilate finally says, do you refuse to speak to me? 
Don't you understand that I have the, the, the power to either set you free or to crucify you? Well, Pilate was talking about facts. Jesus responded with the truth. You would have no power over me at all. We're not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And it says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Look, there's only one person in this entire passage that is ever spoken of as being frightened, and it's not Jesus. It's Pilate. And Pilate is saying to Jesus, I have the power to set you free or to crucify you. And Jesus says, uh, you don't really have that power. And it's proven by the fact that it says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free but he didn't have the power to do it. He wasn't wasn't able to do it because the religious leaders had allied themselves politically and they knew how to use that alliance. They had learned how to play the game, the, the political game. So when Pilate comes out and he's trying to set Jesus free, they, uh, they, they play the trump card. Hey, he's setting himself up as a king. He opposes Caesar. Anybody who sets himself up as a king is obviously opposed to Caesar. So what side are you on? He goes, well, what side are you on? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. It's interesting Ironically, at the end here, Pilate is the one speaking the truth. And the religious leaders are the ones who are just speaking facts. And it's not entirely unusual. I mean, over in John chapter 11, at the end of that chapter, even one of the high priests spoke some truth, prophesied without knowing he was prophesying. Uh, they were discussing what to do with Jesus, and Caiaphas says, you, you don't know anything. Let me just tell you what, what works here. It would be better for one man to die for the people than the people die. And he had no idea that he was prophesying exactly what was going to happen. Jesus was going to die so that Ronnie Meek wouldn't have to. So that Kevin O'Day wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to. And so here we are at the end of this particular passage here. And Pilate is saying, here is your king. That's truth. And they're saying, no, we have no king but Caesar. That's facts. Facts contradicting truth, but let me tell you, Truth trumps facts. So the question is, who is your king? Christ or Caesar? Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll he'll love the one and hate the other, or he'll be devoted to the one, he'll despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon can't serve the kingdom and the world to which kingdom do you give allegiance worship team come on up the world or the kingdom of God John 
says over in his first letter, the world and its desires are passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever, abides forever. What is truth? My perceptions, my experiences, my view of life, in reality, isn't more valid than yours. But as I said, neither one of those are truth. Jesus said in John chapter 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And this is what the word of God says. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's one thing that he left off of there because there's only one thing that can separate you from the love of Christ, and that's you. Only thing that can, the only thing that can keep you from the grip of his love is if you just won't have it. If you just refuse it. But the truth is, he loves you. He wants you. He cares. Would you stand? And with those uh, who are going to pray with people, you'll come forward if you're here today and you need uh, and you need something the truth of the matter is he knew you were coming he knew what you needed and he's got it ready so well man I don't even need to come pray then he said he he told us to do that come and pray if any any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint him with oil and pray Lay hands on him and pray for him. Anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who, who, gives, who gives liberally, not, not stingily. Any, any need that you have, you come. If you don't need to come, we're, we'll worship with us for a few moments. Uh, sing this beautiful song with us. If you need to come, come. Come. He loves you.
You guys are the best congregation at responsive reading in the nation. I just, just, I meant to say that at the front end of the sermon and forgot about it. But I mean, really, y'all, y'all carry the mail. I guess that term still applies. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world to establish his kingdom, may you be clothed in his righteousness. May you enjoy the fruits of his peace. And may you experience the abundance of his joy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.